This is episode 59. It's called Biology Stuff and Wear Chromosome Awareness Day. Well. Hi, welcome to episode 59. I wanted to call, I don't know why am I talking like that? I don't know. But I have to hurry because the thunderstorms are coming and I'm scared. So, uh, yeah, welcome to episode 59. I wanted to call this episode Jeans, Jeans, What Do They Means? <laughs> but I'm going to give this topic the respect and the maturity that it deserves. Although I cannot guarantee that I won't throw in a few silly jokes, you know, along here somewhere. Because uh, puns, puns and jokes are in my jeans. You know, unlike my husband who keeps trying to get into my jeans, but um, they are way too tight lately. I'm just yoga pants every day, all day. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? See, less than a minute in and ridiculous, this has already started. Okay, I'm going to keep it serious. Uh, this episode is in honor of Rare Chromosome Awareness Day, and we are going to broadcast it on the actual day, which is June 16th, 2022. So Rare Chromosome Awareness Day was created, and I'm going to read the tagline from their website, to celebrate and educate and shine bright together. Well, uh, it is a very bright life over here, so I can absolutely get behind that. And it's also meant to try to reach out to anyone who might need help in some way, or to reach out to those people who maybe haven't heard of a chromosome or a gene disorder. I mean, I find it hard to believe that there are actually people who haven't heard of chromosome disorders, but I guess they're out there. Um, And yeah, there are definitely loads of rare gene disorders that most people have never heard of. So I think that awareness days like these definitely serve a purpose. I did an episode about awareness days, or actually I don't think it was an entire episode. I think I just touched on it. The it being that there are some people in the disability community who are not huge fans of awareness days, like at all. Like they find them useless when they just draw attention to certain diseases or disorders without having any uh, purposeful action. Like awareness days can actually, in their opinion, create like a kind of apathy by maybe desensitizing people to them or like even sensationalizing diseases with out having like a real end game. I think it's the lack of end game that is really the problem. But I I see that. But I do think that there is some value in like trying to properly educate communities outside of our own about certain disorders and diseases if we have the intention of thoughtfully educating um, others with like updated and relevant information. And then also helping to sort of create support for individuals and families um, through awareness and understanding, you know? So today's episode is going to be my attempt to share a little bit about what I have learned. And it's very basic, very basic about genetics and chromosomes and all that stuff. And more specifically about what chromosome disorders are. So let's go. Hey everyone, it's a very bright life. It sure is. Your life is so bright. I gotta wear shades. We are so happy that you're here with us. Let's do this thing. Okay, first and foremost, if you're not, if you're not already aware, I am not a scientist. 
Nope. I was an average student at best in high school. Well, when it came to science class, I actually had a mad crush on my grade 11 biology teacher. I may have mentioned that mentioned that in a different episode, but Mr. Laval, mm, he was adorable. Anyway, my chemistry teacher, not so adorable. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't, wasn't a strong science student. And uh, you may also know that I am a teacher myself, but that was not enough to help me figure out any of this science-y diagnosis stuff, um, like at all. And there is a good reason why I didn't teach beyond third grade. So that's all you need to know about that. Anyway, when we got Avery's diagnosis, it was super confusing and completely overwhelming. And I'm not even referring to the emotional confusion. Like that's a whole other thing. I am specifically referring to the biology of it all. Like I legitimately had to relearn basic biology and chemistry. And even then I had a million questions Um, And ironically, Avery's geneticist left the business to retire shortly after receiving us as patients. Coincidence? I'm not so sure. Uh, Anyway, so today I'm going to share a very basic, very pared down mini lesson, or maybe it's just a review for some of you, about chromosomes as they relate to chromosome disorders. So as you can well imagine, genetics is a massive topic And I only know like a very bare minimum about any of it. So here are just 10 things to maybe help create a foundation of understanding for you. Okay, so let's start with the building blocks. Number one, DNA, which stands for, I don't remember, three letters for something, something science-y. But I do know that all humans and all living things for that matter have DNA. So it's our building blocks really. And for simplicity, I like to think of DNA as our recipe. So take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, and then bam, put me on a plate and call me Lisa. (laughs) See, very simple. I've also used the example of uh, puzzle pieces before. So think of it like we all have a pile of individual pieces that when you put them all together, it makes a human. And so if a piece is missing or it's damaged in some way, then this can make the puzzle appear to be disordered or different than it was intended to be. So um, I'll get to that though, the disordered bit in just a minute, but the information in your DNA and your DNA is made up of genes and for simplicity, genes are just the small little sections of DNA and Each of those sections has a different function. So each gene or section of DNA is encoded for, or it's responsible for something specific about us. And we have two copies of every gene, um, one on each chromosome in our pairs of chromosomes. Okay. So genes give our cells the instructions for producing proteins and it's the proteins that drive our bodily functions, like functions like uh, digesting our food or building cells or moving our muscles or whatever. So, okay, so if you think of it, DNA is arranged like two intertwined ropes, you know, like that familiar structure that we've all seen in science class, the double helix, that twisty thing. And so that's what the DNA is. And then in that DNA, we have little sections and those are our genes. And in those genes, there are the things that are in charge of making everything happen. 
Does that make sense? So DNA is the most unique and identifying factor about us. Like DNA is what helps us determine um, what color eyes we're going to have, how tall we're going to be, and how likely it is that we're going to have certain health problems or diseases or what have you. So what you might not, you probably know that, but what you might not know, and what is super cool is that 99% of DNA sequences are the same among all people. Like we are 99% uh, twinning everybody else around us. We are very closely related genetically to each other. Like it is wild. This means, okay, so if 99% of us are all identical, that means that it's just 1% of our DNA that sets us apart from others. What? It's 1% of our DNA that makes us uniquely us and that determines our traits. And that leads me to number two, which is traits. Traits are what make DNA unique. Traits are the observable characteristics. Like if you have brown eyes or blue eyes, or if you're tall, or if you're short, or if you have long eyelashes or short eyelashes or something like that, that 1% of genetic difference gives our bodies the information that results in differences from person to person. I mean, otherwise we would just be exact replicas of one another. We would be clones and that would not be good. Number three, genes determine our traits and our traits, like we just said, we, I'm by myself, traits are what make us, us, right? So, okay. So take those genes They are packaged tightly all together in these tightly wound lengths or strands of DNA, which are called chromosomes. So I like to picture a gummy worm bound in the center with a tight string, maybe not necessarily right in the center, but there's like a a bit that's tight. And now I want a sour gummy. So, oh my God, the power of suggestion. Anyway, humans have 46 gummies or chromosomes, and then they are paired into 23 distinct pairs. Okay. So 22 pairs are called autosomal chromosomes, and these are either dominant or recessive, and they will determine pretty much everything about you. Right. And then there's a 23rd pair of chromosomes. These are the sex chromosomes, and they determine whether you're going to be born a male or a female, because females have two X chromosomes and males have an XY chromosome. So you've got the 22 plus the sex chromosomes, and then you got your 23 pairs. And each individual chromosome, or like the gummy worm, can contain like hundreds and thousands of little tiny genes in each chromosome. And when you really stop and think about that, I it's a bloody miracle that the recipe doesn't get mixed up more often. You know, like there's a lot going on there. I can't I can't even let myself ponder it too long or I'll break my brain. Um, So, okay. So one copy of each chromosome, each of the little gummy worms in your set of 23 pairs of gummies is inherited from each parent, which means that you inherit one copy of each gene or ingredient, if you're following the recipe analogy, from your mom and one copy from your dad. So like, okay, so let's say you get one gene for brown eyes from your mom. And then you get one gene for blue eyes, just as an example, from your dad. And then depending on which copy gets added to the mixing bowl of batter that will become you, 
You might come out of the oven with brown eyes, or you might come out of the oven with blue eyes. (laughs) If my biology teacher heard this, he would totally fail me. I'm so sorry, Mr. Laval. FYI, uh, Mr. Laval came out of the oven with brown eyes, with warm pools of chocolatey brown eyes. I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, where was I? Number four. Okay, so let's just talk a bit about the rare diseases now. Um, So when there's a mistake in the DNA, like a difference from the expected sequence of a gene, this is called a variant or a mutation. And it's not always a bad thing. It just depends on what it is. And all of us have some kind of variant to some degree, but we mostly don't usually even know that we have variants or mutations. They're just there and they're not causing any problems. So, you know, it is what it is, but it is the variants that are harmful. Those are the ones that can increase our risk for certain diseases or certain disorders. Uh, Number five, this is the nitty gritty. So how how do the mistakes get made? So variants can be inherited from your parents, like they can pass it on down to you, or they can just happen spontaneously. And when they have no hereditary history, like when they haven't been passed down and the mutation just happens spontaneously, that is called a de novo mutation. This this was actually the case for Avery. We have no idea where her chromosome... Oh, and just just a tiny FYI, it's chromosome with an M. It's not chromosome with an N or chromosome um, with a Z, just in case you missed that. Anyway, her chromosome disorder was random, de novo. Both Adrian and I were tested. And I got to say that period of waiting to see if one of us was the carrier, it was it was extremely stressful. And let me just say and be very clear that if you are a carrier, it is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. There really is no blame. And we didn't get tested to point the finger at one another. It's more about um, knowing if there's a familial or a hereditary origin so that if you're considering having more children, that you're aware of that possibility. And also so that any siblings of your affected child will have this information because they could have it in their DNA. So when it's time for them to consider starting a family, they need to know what is up. Um, yeah. So, and if the, if the mutation is indeed de novo, then, then we're asking like, where did it come from then? Which is an excellent question. And one that we don't really have an answer for, like it could be most likely environmental factors like I don't know, toxins in the water or radiation or who, who the hell knows? I don't know. Number six, how is genetic testing done? Okay. There's a lot here and nothing that I, that I could really explain any better than you could just read about for yourself. So I'm going to put a good link in the show notes if you're more inclined to read about stuff like that. So you can check it out. But basically genetic testing is a blood test. And when we had Avery's done, our family doctor um, suggested it because she noticed some like signs early on in Avery that there could be something going on genetically. Um, when we had it done, there wasn't anywhere in Canada to even get a test like that. So we had the blood drawn here and then it was sent to somewhere in the States. And the test is called a microarray test. And it basically looks for anomalies in the genetic coding. I don't know what they look at exactly, but they do something. And I don't know what the turnaround time is now for something like that. But back in 2007, 
it was like, it took a few months before we got the results back. And, um, and then shortly after that, that's when Avery's dad and I had our genetics tested and to see if we were carriers. So, um, number seven, what is Avery's specific genetic, um, what's the word profile, genetic makeup, I don't know, whatever. Um, Avery was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder via microarray testing, and her diagnosis came back as an unbalanced chromosomal translocation between 3P25.3 and 9P21.3. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? (laughs) So basically, that's to say that she's got a 3P deletion and a 9P duplication. It's very fancy. Okay, so this is how I remember the geneticist describing this to me. Um, and I'm probably going to completely butcher it, but as explained to me from what I can remember, when the two strands, like, so the two gummies, two gummy worms for chromosome number three, one from me and one from Adrian, when they, um, lined up to multiply, they pulled apart as they do incorrectly don't know why. And a portion of one end of one chromosome three strand um, was damaged and it broke off. And then it just kept replicating in that broken manner. And in the meantime, there was something funky going on over at chromosome number nine. So a section of one strand strand of chromosome nine, like the end little bit, duplicated itself. Again, no idea how that would happen. And that extra bit of chromosomal material just broke free, and then it migrated across time and space to attach itself to the vacant um, end portion of the damaged chromosome three strand. Does that even make any sense? Probably not, but really, it ended up just forming this odd new chromosome three, chromosome nine combo, fancy, fancy thing, a fancy translocation. And so ultimately, it means that there is, is still one completely typical and intact strand of chromosome three in the partnership. And then there's also a typical strand of chromosome nine. So this combination is completely bonkers when you think about everything that had to happen to make it occur. Like, can you even imagine? But thank God it happened because uh, Avery, right? She is a masterpiece. Um And so according to the geneticist, uh, she was surprised that Avery wasn't more, she used the words, severely affected negatively because this was an unprecedented combination. Like by all accounts, a combination like this should have had like really devastating effects, but that's the thing. Like we never know how all the factors, and I'm talking about the typical and functioning DNA that's present, that were a part of her original recipe, plus um, the early supports that were in place because we were lucky we live where we live. And, and then there's the whole like nurture part of the equation. Like We don't know how all of that comes into play. So her syndrome is just mind-blowing. Uh, number eight, what is a syndrome? That's Look at that seamless <laughs> transition. A syndrome, like Down syndrome, to name one that people have most people have heard of, oops, is a, is a chromosome disorder. And it's also known as trisomy 21. And that 
particular syndrome occurs when there's an abnormal cell division involving chromosome 21. So it happens when, so there's three gummy worms of chromosome 21 instead of two. So there's this extra genetic material that's responsible for the characteristic features of Down syndrome. And a syndrome only gets a name when there's a certain number of people who have the same missing or duplicated chromosomal material. And at the time of Avery's diagnosis, she was the only person known with that particular genetic combination. So there's no official name for her disorder. However, since then, there have been a lot of kids born with her particular deletion of chromosome 3. And so that has now been called 3P disorder. So sometimes just for ease of discussion, I'll just use that as the name of her chromosomal syndrome. Otherwise, um, I just refer it to her, hers as just a chromosome disorder in general. Uh, number nine, uh, so okay, <laughs> I'm going to try to put all this recipe stuff together and then bake a person, okay? So just as a final sum up, um, let's bake because I'm starving. Uh, okay, so uh, how do I describe this? So both parents throw their chromosomes into a bowl. <laughs> that sounds so gross. And that makes 46 individual chromosomes that are going to pair up to make 23 sets in the bowl. And each set in the bowl is an ingredient for making a new person. Does that make sense? So both parents throw in something sweet. So like one might add chocolate chips and the other one might add raisins. But if chocolate's dominant and raisins are recessive in this recipe, then the cake person will be chocolatey, like no raisins, which is good because raisins do not belong in a cake, in my opinion. Anyway, and, it, and if one ingredient that they throw into the bowl happens to be stale or expired or whatever, just, just as a lack of a better example, it can alter the recipe. So like maybe the baking soda is old, so the cake isn't going to rise like it was intended to in the recipe, and that would become a defect. But it doesn't mean the cake won't still be tasty. It just might, it just might look and taste different than the than the cake in the cookbook. So, do people still use cookbooks? I don't think so. Um, and in some cases, though, like the recipe might really need fresh baking soda, or maybe baking powder. I never know which which one is for which, but the cake without it just won't work out well. And so you're going to have to start all over again. And that does happen. And it's sad. And it's hard when it happens to you as a parent, but it happens for a reason. Um, like our body recognizes the major mistake in the code and the recipe just, you have to start over and you have to, you have to make a new cake. Um, and then when that cake comes out of the oven, it's sweet and tasty and it's perfect. And sometimes it's perfectly imperfect, which is just as delicious in my opinion. So my, my biology teacher might not be impressed with me today, but my home ec teacher, Mrs. Abramzik would be very proud of me. Um, and number 10, I don't actually have anything for number 10. <laughs> I could make something up. But instead, I'm just going to say that science is cool and life is so fascinating, isn't it? Like, ah, if I was smarter and if my brain could handle like the complex complexities of it all, I totally would have gone into science. But alas, 
the recipe for my intellect had more like, I think, creativity sprinkled in and less critical thinking, but that's okay. We can't all be scientists. And on that note, um, when I was typing out the outline for this episode, the word scientists auto-corrected to science tits. And I laughed really, really hard. <laughs> so that is just further proof that my brain, it just isn't cut out for the serious sciencey stuff. And I am okay with that. All right. Thank you for listening. And I, my apologies to science. What do hipster biologists wear? What do hipster biologists wear? Skinny jeans. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. So thank you so much for sharing the podcast and for leaving us comments and reviews. We really appreciate it. We are just thrilled to see this bright, beautiful community growing in this way. And if you know somebody who you think might enjoy this podcast, perhaps a disability family or just somebody who likes to chat, please send them our way. And if you'd like to leave us a comment or if you have questions or topic suggestions, you can leave us a comment on our podcast page on our website, which is linked in the show notes. Or if you want to get super fancy, you can leave us an audio message on the Anchor app. I know, it's super cool. Okay, thanks again for listening and we will talk to you soon.